Go ahead and open your Bibles up, turn to Philippians chapter 1. We will be finishing out the first chapter this morning, chapter 1, looking at verses 27 through 30. Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. Philippians chapter 1, 27 through 30 is one long sentence in the Greek, so it makes sense for us to take it as one message, especially since our time constraints have us to where we don't have as much time as we might have in other years. Although we recognize that this is part of a larger portion of Scripture. Paul has not stopped his argument. He is continuing his argument. He is going to continue to talk to us about what we should do and how we should live. And this argument is going to transition some as well. When he talks to us about how to live worthy of the gospel, he's going to move right into chapter 2, which again talks about unity. We're going to see that today. It again talks about the greatest example that we have, which is Jesus Christ, who humbled himself taking the form of a servant, coming in the likeness of man, and died a death on the cross for our sakes. And so this is part of a larger argument. Today we're taking verses 27 through 30. As we walk through this text, you've got to know this. The yous that are in this particular portion of the text, and even the verbs in this particular portion of the text, are plural. So let me just just be candid with you right here. I, I read this text... And my American individualism comes into play. Perhaps my own introvert tendencies come into play. And I read a text that tells me to live worthy of the gospel. And it tells me to stand firm. And it tells me to strive. Even though it says strive side by side, I'm in my mind thinking application related to me. How is it that I'm going to be able to stand firm? How is it that I'm going to be able to suffer well? How is it that I'm going to be able to strive together with others? But as we read through this text, you've got to know all of these yous are plural yous. If you were from the South, this is not y'all. This is all y'all. This is everybody. We are all in this together. And so our application to this text is not me-centered. It's not an I-centered application. It's a we application. Now, there's implications to that as well, meaning that I don't live the Christian life by myself. Now, there are still days I have to work on this. There's still days that I have to realize I'm not in this alone, but that I'm called to be in this by gathering with others, good brothers and sisters in Christ that come alongside and help challenge me, encourage me, pray for me so that I can live a life worthy of the gospel. Because let's be honest, I cannot do this by myself. I cannot do this in my own power. It takes the Holy Spirit's help. It takes the grace of the gospel. It takes an army of brothers and sisters lifting one another up, praying for one another, bearing one another's burdens, holding one another together. We cannot do this alone. So this is a we passage. This is all of us. So we look at our text. You're going to see a main idea. I've got the main idea for you. Live worthy of the gospel. This is what Paul tells us. You're going to see in the text, it says only. It starts with the preface only. It starts with a word that talks about living as a good citizen of your city state. This one word is translated by seven words in the ESV version. Live in a manner worthy of the gospel. That's our primary point. So think about what Paul's done. He tells us there are some who preach Christ from envy and conceit, and there are some from goodwill. And when he tells us this, he says, What then? Only that when Christ is is preached, I will rejoice. 
And then he goes into the next section and he tells us that for him to live is Christ, to die is gain. So it's all about the gospel. It's all about living being all about Christ, dying being gain. And then he moves to this passage and he starts off with only and only is at the beginning and only is front loaded. And then he says only live in a manner worthy of the gospel. So it's all about whether Christ is preached. It's all about living as Christ and dying as gain. And now it's all about living for us, all of us, in a manner worthy of the gospel. So we immediately come back and say, okay, how? Paul, I want to. I wake up every morning and I want to live for Jesus, but my sin nature is so strong. My tendencies and habits are so poor that I fail over and over again. I can't do this in myself. Paul, tell me how. Paul says, okay, I'm going to give you three ways in this text that you can live worthy of the gospel, recognizing that all three of these ways, you can't do it alone. You can't be an island to yourself and live a successful Christian life alone. So together, to live worthy of the gospel is standing firm for the gospel. It's striving together for the gospel. And it's suffering well for the gospel. Let's look at our text and read it for today. Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. It says here, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, that I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted. Oh, this is hard to read. For it has been granted, that word granted actually has the word charis in it in the Greek, which is a word that we translate as grace. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but should also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Dear Lord, would you help us just to catch a glimpse of how together through the power of the gospel, through the grace of the Spirit, that we can live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May you be lifted up. May I be tied to the text. May these words be accurate according to your scripture. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, we start with our first point. Standing firm for the gospel. Verse 27. Only front-loaded for emphasis... So Paul here saying only dot, 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 this is what matters the most. Perhaps some of you had that grandfather that would raise that finger and wag that one finger or that parent and say, this is what matters the most, instilling wisdom in you. Perhaps they would say, this is it. Perhaps you had that coach in athletics that would wave that finger and say, whoa, 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 wait a second. You forgot the fundamentals. And Paul here saying only for emphasis to us, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. There's our main idea. Live worthy of the gospel. And then he says, so that whether I come and see you or whether I'm absent, that I may hear of you, 
that you, plural, are standing firm in one spirit with one mind. The word stand here, a military term. That word, let your manner of life be worthy. One word, meaning that you are a citizen. You think about the military aspects of what would happen in this day and time, and they would have military that would line up side by side, shoulder to soldier, and they would go out onto the battlefield, and they would confront another enemy, and they would be right there together, all together. One person could not confront the entire army of another nation or of another country, but together, side by side, they lined up, and they were there together, cheering one another on, getting each other excited about going into battle, and together they could overcome the enemy. And here Paul is using some some of these words to bring to mind to those who are in Philippi, saying to them, together we can overcome the enemy by ourselves, without the power of the Spirit. We cannot overcome the sinful flesh that we have, but through the Word of God dwelling richly within us, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through a life committed to reading the Word, meditating on the Word, memorizing the Word, surrounding ourselves with brothers and sisters in Christ who will love us, who will challenge us. When we're doing the wrong thing, brothers and sisters that will grab us by the shoulder and say, wait a second, what are you doing? This is the wrong path. Don't go down this path. Together, standing firm with one spirit and with one mind. Now notice what it's doing here. It's the plural, and we are to stand firm with one spirit and with one mind. If you're going to be a member of anything, there are qualifications. Think about it. If you're going to be a member of a team, you have to practice with the team. You have to abide by the team rules. You have to do what the team says. If you are a member of a country club, you have to do the rules that they say. If you're going to go play golf at a country club, you have to wear a certain attire in order to do this. There are rules and expectations for how you behave. If you're going to be a student at Cedarville University, there are rules and expectations on how you do certain things. If you're going to be a member of anything important, there are rules and expectations. And what Paul is saying, saying here to this city-state, to this group that understood warfare. He's saying to them, live as citizens worthy of your calling. But our citizenship is not of this earth. Our citizenship is of heaven. There's a unity here that we are in one spirit and that we are in one mind. And with that one spirit and that one mind, we move into the second way that we're supposed to do this. Of these three clauses that explain how we're to live worthy of the gospel, we're to stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the gospel. Now this striving together. When we think about the striving together, you think about your athletic teams. So I, I Googled. I, I decided to Google most selfish players in history. Hey, has anybody ever played on a team with a selfish player? Raise your hand. All right, some of you have, some of you haven't. Some of you just don't want to raise your hand. So if you Google the top 10 list, don't do it right now, but if you Google the top 10 list of most selfish players, there's some players that come to mind. There's something I noticed about all these players. They were always out for their statistic. They were always out for their platform. Chad Okosinko or whatever that played for the Bengals. He's on the list. In football. They put several really good basketball players on there. And, and they said the reason was they had to get their own shots. 
didn't matter what anybody else was. They got their own shots. Now, I was never good enough in sports to be that person. But I played with people that could make other people better or they could just be all about themselves. You've seen it. You live with it. You know there are people that are really only about themselves and their platform and their praise and they want to get the rewards for everything and they want to see that, receive the accolades for everything and there are others that could care less about doing all that. They want to make the people around them better. They want to spread out the praise. They want to do those type things and you like being around the people who want to lift everybody up but those people who are only about themselves, they don't help. And what he's standing here is he's saying, strive together for the gospel. Now, it's important to notice the word for here as well. He doesn't say strive together against the enemy. There is opposition that's coming. There is persecution that's coming. And he's saying stand firm. He's not saying back down. But in the standing firm position, he's not saying for us to strive together to destroy the enemy. He's saying to us strive together for the gospel. That you are striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And this is the point that we have to do is we need to be for something, not against something. We don't need to be the people that are always tearing down. We need to be the people that are building up. We need to be striving together for the gospel. We have to make articulate arguments for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to be able to stand for a biblical worldview. We have to be willing to stand when nobody else is willing to stand and not back down, but at the same time, not hate our enemy, not use hate speech, not discriminate against our enemy, but to love our enemy even as we love ourselves, to pray for our enemy, to share the gospel with our enemy, knowing that there's an eternity that's at stake, that we stand firm and we don't give in and we don't compromise, but we strive together for the gospel of Christ and not against our enemy. How often is it that we look at somebody that's on the other side of something as somebody to be defeated, somebody to be overcome, somebody that we want to get out of our way instead of somebody that we want to love, that we want to share the gospel with, that we want to win over, that we want to compel them to come and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ? How do we live in a manner worthy of the gospel? We stand firm on our convictions and that's hard. And it's even harder to know when you're standing firm on convictions that matter versus trivial things that don't matter. We strive together for that gospel, for the faith of the gospel. And that means at times we have to stand against things. We can't accept a gospel that is a prosperity theology that says Jesus just wants to make your life better. Because right here, what's coming next tells us that's not the gospel message. And yet, even as we are against heresy, against wrong theological beliefs, we're commanded to live worthy of the gospel. We're commanded to stand firm in our beliefs. We're commanded to strive together for the gospel, not against others. What's the third way we can live? comes from this first part, and then it elaborates on it. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. That word frightened, if you've ever ridden horses, this word was used of a horse that spooked easily. 
So you, you think about a horse. If you've been on a horse and a horse encounters something it's not accustomed to and it sees that or something that it's just scared of or something it doesn't like, and that horse would then spook and it would begin to move its legs quickly. It would move away quickly. That shift when you're in the saddle, if you're not ready for it, if you're not holding on, is an opportunity then for you just to fall right off the horse. It's a dangerous moment. And what it's saying here in a plural sense is saying to us that we are not frightened. We don't get quick feet. We don't back down in a hurry. We don't turn and run. There's not a sudden fear that creeps upon us. I don't know about you. This probably didn't happen. I'm probably dating myself. But when I, when I was young, when I was a small child, or I don't even remember how old, people used to walk up to you and say, are you afraid of a man this small? Has anybody ever done that to you? Am I the only one? Yeah, I'm probably the only one. All right, whatever. They would walk up to you and say, are you afraid of a man this small? And of course, macho boys being macho boys, no, I'm not afraid of a man that small. And then they would thrust it right into your eye, right about here. And if you blinked or flinched, then the comment back would be, why did you flinch then? Oh, there's stupid boys doing what stupid boys do, and it was fun, and then whatever. But theologically speaking, what Paul is saying to us here is you stand firm for your faith. You strive together for the gospel. And you know, you know that opposition is going to come. And when the opposition comes and the opposition says, are you afraid of a man this small? We say no because we got a savior this big. When the opposition comes and comes at you, you don't flinch back because you know this world is not your home. Popular opinion is not what we're after. A platform is not what we stand on. We stand at the foot of the cross and we have a Savior that has died for us in our place and for our sake and has gone to the grave and has conquered the grave and has risen again and ascended to the right hand of the Father and is coming back and that Savior cannot be defeated. He has already won the war. We have nothing to fear at all in this life. Do not be frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction. Oh, we got to come back to that. But of your salvation, and that salvation is from God. It's not in and of ourselves. If you have in your mind that you can earn your way to heaven, that is a works-based salvation. That is a heresy to be stood against. That is wrong. It is all by grace. I can't do anything to earn God's favor, and I don't have to. I can't work hard enough memorizing scripture to earn his favor. I can't read enough of the Bible to earn his favor. I can't share the gospel well enough to earn his favor. I can't pray long enough to earn his favor. There's nothing I can do that would cause a holy God to forgive me of any one small sin. But because the gospel is by grace, I don't have to. Our salvation is from God. And then it says, for it has been granted to you. It is for our benefit and for our good that for the sake of Christ, the suffering servant creates suffering servants. The ultimate suffering servant creates followers who are willing to be suffering servants that Christ suffered for us. So the very least I can do is be willing to suffer for him. It's been granted to us that for the sake of Christ, it's a gift to you that you believe in Christ. It is a proof of your salvation that you even believe in Christ. But it's been granted to you not only to believe, but also to suffer for his sake. 
If your view of Jesus is a genie in a bottle that's going to give you your magic wishes, the friend that you've never had, that's not Jesus. He's not your genie in your bottle doing what you want to do. If your view of Jesus is an added feature on a new car, a comfort to make life better, no, 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 that's not Jesus. If your view of Jesus is an upgrade on a video game, I got a power up. I got a new skill. This is going to help me to accomplish something else. I've upgraded my, my uh, avatar or whatever it is here in this game. He's going to be harder to defeat now. No, Jesus is not about upgrading you to make you harder to defeat. If your view of Jesus is that he's just going to make your life more comfortable, that's not Jesus. Jesus is the sovereign God of the universe who is the ultimate king who has called us to take up our cross and suffer and follow him. And that means in this life, you will have tribulation. In John chapter 16, he told his disciples, he said, you're going to suffer and they're going to kill me. And not only are they going to do it, they're going to do it and they're going to think they're doing God's will when they do it. They're going to think they're doing what God wants them to do. And all of you are going to scatter. And at the end of that chapter 16, he says, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer for I have overcome come the world Jesus is telling us you will suffer are you prepared to suffer but there's salvation coming see Paul comes back to this and we can't forget this part at the end of chapter 3 the beginning of chapter 4 he comes back and uses a lot of these words so next semester we'll flash back to this right now we look forward to it he says I have told you often and tell you now even weeping that there are those who are enemies of the cross of Christ their end is destruction. Here you see it. It's a clear sign of, them to, of their destruction. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. But we, we are citizens of heaven. You hear that word citizens? He's going right back up to verse 27. We are citizens from, of heaven from whom we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that he's even to bring all things under subjection to himself. And then he goes to chapter four. And in chapter four, he talks about his beloved and he says to them, stand firm in Christ. And he talks about two ladies that aren't getting along. And he says, they serve side by side with me in the gospel. All right, let's move to some application. Standing firm in the gospel. Here's some questions. So if I'm going to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, and Paul is telling me that means I've got to stand firm, I've got to strive together, I've got to suffer well. How do I do this? Here's some questions. Do we have doubts that we haven't settled? We can't stand firm if we are not convinced. Okay, how do I settle my doubts? Go talk to one of your faculty members. Read a systematic theology textbook. Read your Bible. Study what the faith is. Look at church history to find out that we are in a lineage of 2,000 plus years of those who have said this is what the gospel is. Do we personally walk with God? Do we corporately together walk with God? Do we read our Bibles? If you say, I'm struggling in my faith, my first question to you is, do you have a daily quiet time? Do you read your Bible? Do you go to church? Are you a member of a church? If you're not reading your Bible, if you're not meditating on Scripture, if you're not memorizing Scripture, God gave you his book. That's one of the basics we have to do. Are we living consistent with our beliefs? 
Now, you may be caught and trapped in sin, and if you are, you need to talk to somebody, you need to get help, you need to move past that particular sin issue. The devil wants you trapped in that sin. But if you are trapped in a sin and you believe something different, you are living in unsteady ground. You are on unstable ground. You have one foot in the boat and you have one foot on the shore. You are living in a way that is not consistent. You will never be able to stand firm if the way you live your life and the way you believe don't line up. You may fail. You may make mistakes. But you have to be living consistent. Do we fear what non-believers think? Do we worry non-believers are going to say bad things about me? Of course they are. They don't believe what we believe. Do we allow unnecessary division? Or do we seek unity? All right, I've got to keep moving here. Striving together for the gospel. Are we members of local churches? I understand that we deal with COVID right now. It's difficult. It's complicated. But COVID won't be here forever, I hope. Are you a member of a local church? Are you contributing as a member of a local church? Do you live in community? Do you have friends that will challenge you and encourage you? Are you vulnerable with those friends? Have I recognized yet that I can't do this on my own? I need grace. I need the gospel. I need the spirit. I need brothers and sisters in Christ. If your mentality is you have to always be in charge, always be right, even if it's over silly matters, if you're a contentious person, if you're a divider instead of a unifier, this text has something to say to you over that. Suffering well for the gospel. Do we expect and are we ready for opposition? If your tendency is, I want everybody to like me, I don't ever want to have a fight, I don't want to ever have a disagreement, I cannot stand opposition in any way, you're going to have a hard time standing firm for the gospel. Do we understand that suffering can actually be for our benefit? That suffering can actually deepen our faith? That suffering can make us stronger? That suffering can show the world that in hard times we still believe? Everybody can be in a good mood and a good time. Hard times give us an opportunity for the gospel. Without seeking it out, are we ready right now to suffer well for Jesus Christ, for his sake, as he suffered and died for our sake? Dear God, I pray that you would help us to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, knowing that we can't do it in our power. May you grant us the power of your spirit. May you grant us a dedication to your word. May you grant us fellowship of brothers and sisters friends for life who will come alongside us to help us to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. For Jesus' sake and in his name I pray, amen. And you are dismissed.